Folks, we're going to read two passages this morning from God's Word, uh, one from the Old Testament and one from the New. Uh, I don't think either one of them will be brand new to you. You will have heard them before, and certainly at this time of the year. And I know already in this service I have quoted directly from Isaiah 9, which is our first passage. You can find Isaiah 9 on page 573 of the small print, or 729 of the large print. 573 of the small print Bible, or 729 of the large print. And once I've finished in Isaiah 9, we're going to move over to John's Gospel and John chapter 1. So let's hear the Word of God. This is the Word of God. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trumping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. And now folks, let's move over to page 886 of the small print on page 1127 of the large print for John's Gospel and the first 14 verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace 
and truth. Amen. And we thank God as always for his precious word. Good morning, everybody. Um, it's a pleasure to be back with you, and thank you for your warm welcome. Obviously, nobody has told Scott that flattery gets you nowhere. Um, and also, Roy's more like an archbishop than a, a pope. He's very Anglican, so I'll, I'll let him know you called him the pope. I don't know how that'll go down. Um, just before I start, um, I want to put a bit, bit of a disclaimer out there. I hope my voice will last. I'm just recovering from the cold, and also um, the pantomime in Second Cumber. Um, we put on a pantomime each year for our World Development Appeal, so we had our last two shows yesterday, and my voice is just about holding up, so hopefully we get to the end of the sermon. But before we come to open God's Word, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this Advent season that we are in, which sometimes we can get caught up in, in all of the stuff that the Word tells us is important at this time of the year. But as we come to look at your Word, we pray that we will focus on the one thing that is important at this time of the year you and your son Jesus. So Lord, we that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your eyes. Amen. So just as I prayed there, we are in the Advent season. Um, as I just mentioned there, Roy um, is a bit Anglican. I like to keep him going about that. But we in the Presbyterian Church, we don't really do Advent in the way that other churches do. Um, and if you're anything like us, the closest we really get to celebrating Advent is your advent calendar. Um, we are both adults, but we still have two advent calendars each, um, one from my mother-in-law, Mary, um, and one from each other. Um, it's the highlight of my day, getting up in the morning and being able to eat chocolate for breakfast. Um, it's a great excuse to be unhealthy. Um, and, and advent is this time of, of waiting. We're waiting for Christmas. We're counting down to Christmas. So this morning, as we look at the two passages that were read earlier, we're thinking about waiting and what we're waiting for. So first of all, as we look to um, our first passage in Isaiah 9, we're thinking about waiting for a light. Um, just a bit of a, an explanation um, in that very familiar uh, part from verse 2 onwards. It's written in the present tense, um, as in the people have already seen the great light, but actually um, it was written before the light has come. Um, part of the reason it was written in that way is because Isaiah was, was confident. He knew, knows that when God promises something, that it will happen. And that is why it is in the present tense. So, although it is in the present tense, it, the people are waiting for the light. To understand the context of, of these famous verses, which I suppose, um, as the danger is with a lot of familiar passages, we can sometimes let them gloss over us and, and we don't quite grasp um, the, the true brevity of, of what they're saying. It's important to look at the context. So um, if you have your Bibles open there at Isaiah 9, you can, you can go back a little bit to Isaiah 8. We're just going to look at a couple of verses before that, which put into context these famous verses. Verse 17 in chapter 8 shows us that Isaiah and the hearers of his message are to wait for the Lord. And so that's how we, we can kind of put that present tense bit into context. He's, he's told them that he is waiting and that, that they should be waiting too. Um, and that waiting will give them hope. But it also puts into perspective the darkness that is mentioned in chapter 9. And again, Christmas is a time of hope, and, and we love to have our lights on our tree and our candles lit, and we, we sometimes focus solely on the light, and that is what we will be doing. But it is important to look at the darkness too, um, because it's is the darkness that is being um, dispelled by the light. Um, verse uh, 22 in chapter 8 speaks of this darkness. It talks about 
distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish and the thick darkness. This isn't just somebody has accidentally switched off the lights and, and there's a momentary unpleasantness. It is, is a deep darkness. Um, sometimes, as I said, we can just brush past it. This one word in a familiar passage, darkness, yes, I even know what that is. But it was a deep darkness, a thick darkness, the gloom of anguish. This was a period where all people were, were living in darkness. And so Isaiah tells them that there is a time that will come that even those who have refused to see the light, uh, the light that is walking in God's presence, walking with God, um, they will see the light too. So then moving into chapter 9, chapter 9 points us to that light that will forever dispel the spiritual darkness that people have been living in. As we know now with the gift of hindsight and the Bible, um, that light is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. So verse 2 kind of explains a bit more about this light. It's not just a nice idea or a a fluffy little metaphor. Um, It's not an empty hope of something that may or may not happen. It's a real thing. It's a surprising thing for some. Um, As as we work our way down through um, the next few verses, we'll see that um, that that promised hope, that promised Messiah, maybe isn't coming in the form that some people thought. Um, It will be different, but it will be a light. It will be hope. It will dispel that darkness. Verses 3 and 7 also point to uh, the effect that that light will have. It will, it will lead to growth, just as we've been hearing this morning. Um, when, when Jesus touches lives, um, people grow not only in their faith, but the communities around them grow in that hope and that love for Jesus. Verse 6 tells us of a child being born. Um, Again, in those times, it may have been tempting for the people to think of this as merely a metaphor um, because we know that the hope and and the joy that the expected arrival of a child brings. I don't know much about the actual arrival of a child, but I can tell you um, over the last eight and a bit months, we have been preparing for um, the arrival of a child, and and I understand that. It's, It's full of hope and expectation. Um, we have chosen not to find out the, the sex of our baby. So for us, it's, is it a boy or a girl? We, we don't know. We're waiting to find out. What color will its hair be? We're both quite dark, but we both have ginger jeans in our family. So we're, we're interested to see what it's going to be like. What are we going to call them? We've got a long list of names, but we, we don't know yet because well, we don't know what it is for a start. What are they going to be like? What's their personality going to be like? Are they going to get our good traits, our bad traits? Are we going to fight with them? What are they going to be when they grow up? How are they, you know, when a child comes into our lives, we have lots of hopes and expectations. And so to be told that, that your Messiah will arrive as a child brings all these hopes and expectations and these new questions and, and wondering what may come. But as we work on down through this passage, and even through verse 6, we hear more about this child. What will this child be like? And we hear those familiar names for this child. Wonderful counselor. This child will be a wise child. It will be one with great plans, one with great wisdom to share and great things to come. And here's where it might have taken people off guard. Mighty God. In one sentence, this this coming Messiah, this light, this hope that is promised is being called a child. This meek and humble thing. And yet in the next, 
we are being told it is mighty God. It's the Lord himself. It's not a watered-down version of God. It's not a slight reflection of God. It is God himself. And even nowadays, when we have the whole of Scripture to, to read through, we still can't quite get our heads around this. How can God be God and Jesus be God? And how can the Trinity work? And it's one of, actually, the most common questions we get asked um, in our youth group is, how does the Trinity work? And quite often I have to say, I'm not entirely sure, but I know that it does. God is one and three. Everlasting Father. Again, an interesting choice. We've just heard of this child, and now this child is being called a father. And, and, and interpretations of this would say that it's to, to communicate the fact that he will be a protector, um, as would the, the traditional view of a father in those days had been, the protector of the household, or like a king um, over the household. And then sticking with that royal thing, we see another name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, a ruler who is going to bring peace. And this is where the, the context of, of the darkness on the land, the, the, the turbulent times, the Prince of Peace would have been a welcome sight. But hearing all these things would have been quite difficult for those people. Because unlike us, they didn't have anything to look back on. They didn't have um, the Bible to see what Jesus was like. They were they're kind of taking Isaiah at his word. And it would have been difficult in the middle of that darkness to see that light. And Isaiah speaks in the present tense, as we said, to show his certainty that that light was coming, to give them hope and reassurance that the light that they were waiting for was coming. Now, if you forgive me, I'm going to fast forward by about 700 years. Um, that's not to say those 700 years in between weren't important, and they are, and there's a lot happens, and thankfully there's a lot of it in the Bible, so go and study that. But we're going to fast forward now um, to the passage in John that we were looking at as well, um, to see this light which has now come and the people will see this light that Isaiah was talking about. This passage starts with a sort of a reinforcement of, of this light and who it is. Again, that it's not just a nice fluffy concept or a, a nice metaphor, but it is a real person. Verses 1 to 3 tell us that the light has been there since the beginning. It wasn't an afterthought, it wasn't a, an ill-thought-through, quick reaction to a situation. There from the very beginning. Not only there from the very beginning, but with God from the very beginning. And not only with God from the very beginning, but is God. And it's important that that's set out right at the start of John's Gospel. That dispels any myth that, that Jesus was just a prophet, just a nice man, just a good person who did good things. He is God. He was with God at the very beginning. He was there at creation. And he is God. Therefore, he is that almighty God that was promised in the days of Isaiah. In the verse 4, if you look with me, we'll see our first mention of light. These people would have known the, the passages in Isaiah, the Jews especially, but others around would have known of this promise from the time of Isaiah, would have known this passage, and would have known that a light was promised. 
these people were also still in darkness, that spiritual darkness that comes with not knowing God, not being able to fully enter into his presence as we once were in the Garden of Eden. But this will change. The light will change that because the light shows us the presence of God and the light invites us to come in to the presence of God because that light is God. And verses 11 to 13 are really the crucial parts of this, the important part, particularly for us in our generation. Verse 11, let me read it for you. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, yet all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. You see, if the light had just come to to be a nice light and to show people that there was hope, That would have been nice, but it wouldn't have solved any problems. In verse 11, we see that there were those who knew that he was coming, namely the Jews, and they would still reject him. But there were those who would accept him, welcoming him in completely and letting his light shine into every aspect of their lives. And when they did, they had the right to be called heirs to the throne, members of God's family adopted in. And that's why it's crucial for us. We face those same two choices as the people in those days. Do we reject that light that has come into our darkness? Or do we accept it and become adopted into God's family? That's the decision that we have to choose. You see, this spiritual darkness that was talked about in Isaiah, it didn't just finish in the New Testament. There's there's something that we need to do. We need to choose whether we still live in that spiritual darkness or we accept that light which will change everything. If that's a decision that you haven't made yet um, and you'd like to know more, then Scott or I would be more than happy to chat to you after the service if that's something that you would like to do. So what now? What about us? What is this whole concept of Advent and is there a second Advent? Um, What is the significance of that? for us. Well, the difference is that we have seen the light. The people in Isaiah's time were promised this light. The people in Jesus' time saw the light up close and personal. Um, But that doesn't mean that we aren't still living in dark times. You see, there's still darkness around us, and Scott alluded to it earlier. There's, There's wars and rumors of wars. There are things happening now that are far from light. But the difference is that we have seen the light. We can see the things that Jesus has done. And we should be changing those around us too. Jesus no longer is dwelling with us as he was um, when he was here on earth. But he is still living. He's on the throne in heaven. So what is this strange in-between period where, where Jesus, he's not here anymore. He's on the throne, but he has said he's coming back. But we're in this, this middle bit. And that is what sometimes is called the second advent, where Jesus has been promised to come again, just like he was promised the first time. And we're waiting. And I don't know if you're like me, but I struggle with waiting. And this Advent time can be tricky. And maybe if you've got children in your house, they're just counting down the hours. Or maybe the sort that maybe like to go a couple ahead on the, the Advent calendar. Oh, I can't wait for, for day number 17. Can I eat the chocolates now? We like to skip ahead. But sometimes, actually, there's, there's joy in the waiting, too. The PCI Children's Ministry page has been sharing some 
um, lovely poems, wee short poems from Engage Worship over the Advent season. And I think, think some of these um, help to kind of, in an artistic way, encapsulate what Advent is about. So I'll share some of those with you now. As I said, I was in the pantomime this weekend, so the first um, wee poem that they shared really resonated with me. It says this. Advent is the hush in the theatre between the house lights going down and the curtain going up. I don't know if there are many theatre goers here. I'm not really a theatre goer. The most I ever get is going to the pantomime in the opera house or our own pantomime. But if you've been to the theatre before, you'll know what happens. You're, You're in the hustle and bustle and then the lights go down. And yes, you are in that darkness, but you know something is coming. You know the show is about to begin. Now, for me, last night, that was... Uh, a nerve-wracking time because I knew that I had to try and remember my lines but if you're going to enjoy the show the lights go down you're in the darkness but you know something better is coming and we're heading off to um, the Kilmore Mance this afternoon for dinner and quite often if it's somebody's birthday around that time we we joke that we know what's about to come and this next poem um, helps us to think about that Advent is turning off the lights before you bring in the birthday cake I don't know if your houses are anything like ours. Ruth and I had the, the same experiences growing up. Every time somebody had a, a birthday near a Sunday dinner, the same thing would happen. You'd have your main course, you'd have the dessert, and then all of a sudden, mum would disappear into the kitchen. It still happens in the months to this day. Disappear like nobody knows what's going to happen. It's going to be a surprise, but everybody knows. Then the lights go off. Nope, it's not a park up. Then there comes Mary appearing with cake and the candles. But again... We've been there, we know it. The lights go off, you're in darkness, but you know something's coming. Hopefully a nice big chocolate cake or a a caterpillar cake, if you're lucky, with the candles on, we know what's coming, despite being in that in-between period. This one, I don't know, it might be good to look forward to summer uh, in the middle of these cold winter mornings. Advent, holiday faces pressed to car windows, who will be the first to see the sea? I don't know if you ever go maybe down to Newcastle or up to uh, Port Rush or Port Stewart in the summer. I remember doing it as, as children and you would nearly have a competition with your siblings to see who would be the first to see the sea. Lots of seas going on there. And it's the same thing. You've maybe been on this long car journey that seemed like it was never going to end, but you knew something was coming. Whether that was the Morelli's ice cream that you were going to get or the buckets and spades on the beach, you knew that it was coming. And you got that first glimpse of the sea. And you were excited for what was to come. Are there any people who like to do jigsaws? I don't. There's a few. My mum loves jigsaws. And I think most people have the same approach. You get the edges first. They're the easy bits. You make sure you've got everything around the edge. And so this poem says, Advent, jigsaw bits still scattered, but you've pieced together the frame, the ground and the sky. You're getting somewhere. You've still got a bit of a mess in the middle, but you've got the edges, so you know what's coming. You know where you're working towards. And finally, again, on these cold winter mornings, you wake up in your bed and you're a little bit cold, but you hear that click. This is what this one says. Waking in a cold house, hear the heating tick and the hum into life. Warmth is on its way. You wake up in the cold, you hear the click of the heating, and you know that it's about to get warm. That is what Advent is. That's what the first Advent was, and that's what the Advent that we're currently in is like. 
You see, we may look at the world around us and be in a bit of despair at some of the things that are going wrong. Maybe we're looking at the circumstances in our own lives and thinking, where is Jesus in the midst of this? Where is the hope and the life that has been promised? It's coming. Christ is coming. Just like the promise of that first Christmas. But Jesus isn't going to appear as, as a child this time. He's going to return as a, a triumphant king, returning to claim his people, the people who have chosen to accept the light and let, them, let him into their lives, the people who have chosen be, to be adopted into that royal family. This royal family doesn't have any um, awkward uncles who, who do things that they maybe shouldn't. This is their perfect royal family that we want to be adopted into. We are in the second advent. We know something better is coming. And that gives us hope. Hope for the returning light. Sometimes despite knowing God, we can find ourselves close to being overwhelmed by the darkness of the world. But we have the hope of a returning king, a returning saviour, and a returning light. A light that will restore everything and make all things new and all things perfect. Romans really hits the nail on the head here about hope. It says, if we already have what we hope for, then there is no need to keep on hoping. It would be like hoping for a Christmas present and being given it on the 3rd of December. Well, there would be no more hope for the 25th. And so our hope is in Jesus. He, he may not be here in the flesh right now, but we have that promise of him returning. And we have his word, and we have God's Holy Spirit with us right now to keep us going. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for that first advent, that first promise of hope to come. And we thank you that that hope did come. We thank you for your son, Jesus, who lived, died, and was resurrected to show that he was your son and he is God. But most importantly, that he has the power to defeat death, that he is the light of hope that we can have in our lives. Heavenly Father, help us to turn to you if we haven't already. And Lord, if we have turned to you, help us to keep turning to you. Help us to know that we need that light in our lives every day. And Lord, as we are now in the second Advent period, as we are waiting for the return of that light, of that hope, and of your Son, help us to keep going. Help us to show that light to others around us. We pray this in your Son's name.